Полагат примени. Според Игресовта, университетът Никонай, Шахтар Седер, from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Apparently, the church at Corinth sent St. Paul a letter asking him some questions. And he began to address this question in chapter 7. The first half of the chapter deals with those who are married. And the second half of the chapter about the singles, the widow and the unmarried. We can divide this chapter into four passages. From verse 1 to 9, principles of marriage. Then from 9 to 16, keep your marriages fair. And from 17 to 24, live as you are called. And then from 25 to 40, it is about the unmarried and the widows. So now we start reading verse by verse and understand this chapter through the grace of God. Verse 1. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. As I told you, it's clear from this verse that they sent him a letter asking him some question. So he said them concerning the things which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Wow. Definitely, he doesn't mean that marriage is wrong or marriage is sinful. But as he said later in the chapter, because of the present distress, it was a good thing not to be bound with the heavenly power. So, I don't want anybody to understand when he said it is not good for a man to touch a woman, that St. Paul is saying marriage is wrong or marriage is sin. But as he explained in the same chapter, no, it is not sin, nothing wrong about marriage. But because of the present distress, it is better for a man to focus on his relationship with God. Verse 2. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. So, if somebody is tempted, and in order to avoid fornication, and temptation to fornication, it's better for each gender that they be married. So St. Paul said, if you can have absolute self-control, it is better not to marry. But if this is not the case, no, it's better actually 
for each woman to have uh, her own husband and for each man to have his own wife. Verse 3, let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. After St. Paul spoke about, yes, it's better to marry if you cannot exercise absolute self-control, he said, but you need to understand, marriage means obligation. Marriage is not only to fulfill the desire of the body, but marriage means you need actually to please your wife. You need to fulfill her needs, and you, wife, you need to fulfill the needs of your husband. So, marriage is a state of mutual obligations. Each spouse must yield to the other obligation, the other's obligation. So, you need to understand that in marriage there is sense of responsibility, there is sense of commitment, there is sense of obligation, and you have to fulfill the needs of the other person. And each gender is put exactly on the same rule. Each gender is put exactly on the same rule. Verse 4. The wife does not have authority over his own her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Means what? Means that the body of each spouse belongs to the other and cannot be yielded to other parties. You receive authority over your spouse's body from the Holy Spirit in marriage. So in marriage, the husband receives authority over his wife's body from the Holy Spirit. And the wife has has authority over her husband's body from the Holy Spirit. Now, nobody has this authority over your body except your spouse. But in order to understand this verse perfectly, this verse is not only about adultery, but also about premarital sex. Premarital sex, how a boy receives authority over the girl's body, who gave him this authority? Who gives the authority to the girl over the boy's body? So before marriage, you don't have authority over the other person's body. That's why you have no authority to touch, or to hug, or to kiss, or to do the sexual act. This authority only you receive it in marriage. 
this authority only in receive in marriage. Also, this verse is against polygamy. Polygamy. What do we mean polygamy? God gave authority over the wife's body to her husband, to one husband. And all also gave the authority over the husband's body to one wife. Then he cannot have four wives because who gives the authority to the other three over the husband's body? So this verse is against and forbid the polygamy and also forbid the premarital sex. Verse 5. Do not deprive one another except with consent. St. Paul is speaking here about the intimate relationship. And he said, you cannot just part from each other except with a consent. There is here a condition, mutual agreement. Because you don't have authority over your body. That's why you cannot deprive the person his right that he received from God, except with a consent. And this consent is not for the rest of your life. It is only for time. So it is a temporary consent for a certain period of time. Why? For what purpose? He said the only reason for this that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. So, if you want to be apart physically from each other for some time, maybe during the time of fasting, or uh, to devote yourself to prayer, here you need to have the consent of the other spouse, and this should be done for a, a, a temporary time. So the married couple should not live apart except by mutual agreement. And that only for a season. Why? While devoting themselves to a period of prayer and fasting. And then St. Paul said something very important. Why be instructing to separate from one another for a season to devote themselves for prayer and fasting. He said, lest Satan or so that so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. If you cannot control yourself for a season to be away from your spouse, to devote yourself for prayer, what if some circumstances happen, like you travel in a trip by yourself for one or two months. What are you going to do during these two months? Are you going to, to last after other wives or after other women? Of course not. So we need here to exercise self-control. And the person should be okay if he has to separate himself physically from his wife or from her husband for some time. What if your spouse gets sick? What are you going to do? 
and you don't fall in sexual immorality? Of course not. That's why St. Paul said, although you are married, and although you have authority over your spouse's mother, but it is better for you to exercise self-control, especially during the time of fasting, to devote yourself for fasting and prayer, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. If you are lacking self-control and you say you cannot, I cannot, I cannot do this, then if some other circumstances happen, you will find yourself tempted with sexual immorality. So self-control, even in marriage, is very, very important. Self-control is very important even in marriage. Verse 6, but I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. St. Paul said, what I just told you is a permission, but not a commandment. Which means, maybe somebody say, no, I don't have to do this. That's fine. But why St. Paul is giving you this permission or giving you this advice? in order to be able to exercise self-control. So to avoid the temptation of sin. To avoid the temptation of sin. Verse 7. For I wish, now I'm speaking about how even the married people should exercise self-control. So he's saying, for I wish that all men were even as I myself, I wish that everybody, as myself, have absolute self-control as I have. To live life of service, as I am the person Paul was not married. He lived life of service. So he's saying, I am instructing you, the man, couple, to exercise self-control. But in reality, I wish that everybody, everybody, should have, you know, absolute self-control as myself. But St. Paul understands that this is a gift from God. If you go to Matthew chapter 19, when the Lord spoke about, uh, the disciples asked the Lord, it's better for man not to marry, then the Lord said, but not everybody will accept this, except to those who receive this from God. So not everybody is called to the life of sinners. Not everybody can live the life of sinners, except those who receive this gift from God. That's why St. Paul said, For I wish that all men were even as myself, as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God. Each one has his own gift. I receive the gift of celibacy, maybe you receive other gifts that I don't have. So each one received his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. One in this manner in celibacy and another in that. Maybe you have some gifts that I personally don't have. Verse uh, 8. But I say to the unmarried, I say to the unmarried, and to the widows, it is good for them 
if they remain as even as I am. So St. Paul is emphasizing what he's saying. Because of the present distress, it is better for the unmarried, for the singles, and for the widows uh, to remain as he is, to remain unmarried, to exercise his self-control, the absolute self-control. It's well for them to remain unmarried. And as explained, this is because of the present distress, as he mentioned in verse 26. Verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. If they cannot, and actually in his letter to Timothy, he spoke about the young widows. And he said, I want young widows to be married. Because if she's a young widow, maybe she will be tempted. It's better for her to marry. That's why St. Paul said, if they cannot, let them marry. So if the single or the widow cannot control their self-control or their desires, it is best to marry. To marry is better than to be burned with the secret flames of lust, with the passion of lust within one's self. So from verse 1 to 9, St. Paul discussed with us some principles about marriage. From verse uh, 10 to 16, St. Paul will emphasize the fact how it is important to keep your marriage vows. It's very important to keep your marriage vows. Because St. Paul spoke about if it is better, uh, sorry, it is better to remain unmarried. So some people, some married people start to question, is it better to leave my spouse? Is it better to leave my married partner and maybe live life of celibacy? St. Paul said, no, no. Although I am saying celibacy is better, but this doesn't mean if you are married, then you, you leave your spouse. Verse 10. Now to the married, I command, yet not I by the law. So this commandment, not to leave your spouse, and you have to keep your marriage there, is a commandment from God himself. God commanded us not to leave our spouses. So now, to the man, I command, yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband under no condition. So, uh, the Lord instructed the wife not to depart from her husband. And instructed the husband not to depart from his wife. The divorce is hated by God. You read in Malachi chapter 2, the Lord says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord. I hate divorce. That's why he said, This is man of God. Wife should not depart her husband. Husband should not depart his wife. 
verse 11. But even if she does depart, although in spite of this prohibition, some wives don't listen to the commandment of God and they depart, they divorce their husbands. And some husbands, they don't listen to the commandment of God and they divorce. Should the church remind them? He said, no. The church in this situation should not remarry them. So in spite of the prohibition, if she left her husband or he left his wife, she must remain unmarried or reconciled. This is the teaching of God. Because many people, when they divorce, actually they put pressure on the church to allow them to remain. It's not our authority to break the commandment of God. This is the commandment of God. So if the husband departed, that's fine. Actually, it's not fine because they, they, they broke the commandment of God. But you cannot remain. The two options is to reconcile or to remain unmarried. The same for the wife. If she departed and she left her husband, the two options either to remain unmarried or to reconcile. The option of remarriage is not given by the Lord. That's why it's not in the church authority to give permission for somebody who's divorced to remarry. It's very, very clear from verse 11. Verse 12, uh, verse 11, but even if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. But the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce him. So, St. Paul now is discussing another point. The case of the marriage between two unbelievers. Then one of them converted to Christianity. So we will have a believer partner and unbelieving partner. What does the situation mean? Should the believer divorce and depart from the unbelieving partner? Of course, God there is no direct commandment from God. If you read the four Gospels, there is no direct commandment from God about this specific situation. So, for instance, St. Paul said, I love the Lord. He doesn't mean that this commandment is not the commandment of God. But he meant there is no direct revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ so what he is going to say now, he is going to say by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But when he spoke about the divorce, the Lord Jesus Christ, then clearly in Matthew chapter 19 and in many different occasions in the four Gospels, the husband should not divorce his wife. 
But the Lord Jesus Christ does not say anything about those who are married with some believers. That's why the Lord Jesus did it. Some people said, I am the Lord. Means, I am saying what I am saying right now by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not by direct revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so if either husband or wife is converted and the other is not, they must not on this account forsake the unbelieving spouse, provided he or she is pleased to remain. St. Paul is saying, God valued the family time very much. So, in this specific occasion, if one converted to Christianity, because God valued the family time very, very much, then don't divorce your spouse. If the unbelieving partner wants to continue in marriage. So here you should not divorce your spouse. But does this mean it is okay for a believer to marry an unbeliever? No. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the said, don't be under the same yoke with the non-believers. There is no fellowship between light and darkness. So this verse doesn't mean it is okay to marry a non-believer if you are a believer. But this verse is about this specific situation. If two persons, couple, were unbeliever, one of them converted to Christianity, don't divorce your wife as long as your unbelieving partner please uh, to uh, continue in this marriage. But here there is another question. Is this marriage holy or unholy? Because it is now union between a believing partner and an unbelieving partner. So how can we conceive this marriage? Is it holy or unholy? St. Paul answered this in verse uh, 13 and 14. He said, And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. What does it mean? What does it mean that unbelieving husband is sanctified in the wife or by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband? Does this mean that they are holy in themselves even without being baptized? even without believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? No. St. Paul doesn't mean this. St. Paul doesn't mean that the unbelieving spouse is made personally holy by this marriage. But what does he mean by this? So, being sanctified doesn't mean personal holiness. Let us understand what the word sanctify means. 
The word sanctify means to separate, to dedicate to the Lord, to consecrate. For example, when we pray on the food, actually we sanctify the food, we bless the food. Does this mean the food will be saved? There is no salvation for the food. But this means it's blessed. Why blessed? Because we prayed on it. So as if dedicated for God. So St. Paul is saying, having a Christian member, a member who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, will make the whole household actually holy. So the Christian member will bless the whole household. Do you remember when God wanted to burn Sodom and Gomorrah? And then Abraham asked the Lord, what about if there are ten persons? The Lord told him, if there are ten persons, God be unrighteous, I will not destroy the city. Because these ten persons became source of blessing for the whole city. In the same way, a believing partner will be a source of blessing for the whole household. But this doesn't mean that the unbelieving members of the house will be saved or they are personally holy. And St. Paul, you want to say, so this household is separated from the ungodly and unclean world because of the presence of this living spouse. Uh, and in the same way, the godliness of the believing wife, the godliness of the believing wife, is of more force to cause the marriage to be considered holy than the force of the unbelieving husband is to make the marriage unholy or profane. That is the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So the power of the Holy Spirit in the believing wife and the believing spouse will be able to make the whole relationship holy more than the force of the unbelieving uh, spouse to make the relationship profane or unholy. So again, I want to emphasize St. Paul doesn't mean that the unbeliever will become sanctified in himself or he became holy in his own person, but he became holy in respect to his relation with his wife. So he is blessed and he is sanctified for her, not as a person in himself. Because we cannot be holy in ourselves except by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. St. Paul said, if uh, this relationship is unholy, this means your children are unclean. Unclean means illegitimate, unlegal, unlawful, like the children of fornication. But actually, 
St. Paul is saying, no, your children are holy. Holy means what? Means they are the fruit of a lawful and a legal relationship. So the children who are born of them, they are legitimate. They are legal children. That's why they are holy, not unclean. They are holy and not unclean. Verse 15. What if the unbeliever didn't want to continue this marriage? The unbeliever get offended when his uh, spouse believed in Christ. Should we fight to keep him in the marriage? Suppose said no. If the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such case. Why? Because this marriage is not united by the Holy Spirit. That's why they are not under bondage. But if the marriage is united by the Holy Spirit, like in the Christian marriage, God made the same two, then you cannot leave your spouse. So here, if the unbelieving partner wants to leave, let him leave. For God has called us to peace. Means what? You cannot make conflict with your spouse, with your unbelieving spouse, to keep him in marriage. You cannot fight with your unbelieving spouse to keep him in marriage. Because God is God of peace, and God wants us to be peaceful. Peacemakers, not troublemakers. And maybe because of your attitude, your Christian attitude, that you are gentle, forbearing, unselfish, meek, humble, maybe because of this attitude you will win your spouse to Christ and you convert him to Christianity. That's why he said in verse 16, For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, oh husband, whether you will save your wife? So, don't fight, don't force them to remain in the marriage, because there is no guarantee that you will convert them to Christ. But on the other side, on the other hand, if you demonstrated your Christian attitude and your peacemaker attitude, maybe you can win your unbeliever, uh, unbelieving spouse to the Lord Jesus Christ and you can save him. And actually, this happened in, in the church history and in the biblical sense, many uh, believing spouses were able by their Christian attitude to convert their unbelieving spouse to uh, Christianity. So St. Paul actually spoke about the principle of marriage and then he spoke about how you need to keep your marriage status. From verse 17 to verse 24, St. Paul is speaking about you need to live as you are called. So, if you are called while you are married, don't leave your wife. And if you are called while unmarried, it is better to consider celibacy 
But if you cannot, then you can marry nothing wrong in this. Verse 17. But as God has distributed to each one, and the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. St. Paul said, whatever gift you received, or whatever circumstances you are in when you are called to Christianity, whether you are single or married, please walk in it without seeking a change. So if you are called while you are married, walk as man. If you are called as soul, it's better to continue as unman. Verse 18. Was anyone called while circumcised? Now St. Paul is expanding this principle from marriage to actually other civil uh, status. So, many people were Jews and converted to Christianity. And many people were Gentiles, uncircumcised, and converted to Christianity. So, St. Paul is saying, was anyone called while circumcised a Jewish person? Let him not become uncircumcised. Means what? Means you need to be content that it's okay if you are a Jewish. Don't be disappointed because you are from Jewish background. Actually, if you are both a Jewish, that's fine. Be content with it. Don't seek to be uncircumcised. Don't say, don't envy the Gentiles because they were not Gentiles from the beginning. And the same also true for the Gentiles. Was anyone called while uncircumcised, let him not be circumcised? The uncircumcised Gentiles were, were to remain uncircumcised when they become Christian. Again, you Gentiles do not envy the Jews. Because in Christ, neither circumcision or uncircumcision is important. As he said in verse 19, circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandment of God is what matters. What will make you qualified to go to heaven is not being circumcised or not uncircumcised, whether you are Jewish or you are Gentile, whether you are American or Egyptian or uh, Asian or European. It doesn't matter who you are, but because God accepts everybody from every nation, from every town, from every race, from every ethnicity. What it really matters, keeping the commandment of God. Circumcision will not affect your final salvation. Uncircumcision will not affect your final salvation. But the one essential condition you need to keep is the commandment of God. Verse 20, let each one remain in the name calling in which he was called. So, let each man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. In that singular condition of life in which he was called. So now St. Paul will address the issue of slavery. If you are a slave and you are called to Christianity, what should you do? 
Actually, the health of the population of Roman Empire at that time was this. Health of the population was this. So thousands of early Christians were slaves. So what should they do? St. Paul said in verse 21, Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. What does it mean, do not be concerned about it? If a servant was converted, let him not be troubled over his state, because this will not prevent you from your eternal salvation. So don't be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather lose it. If there is opportunity, a legal opportunity, to set yourself free, then yes, because Christianity is against slavery, then use this opportunity and set yourself free. Verse 22. In verse 22, St. Paul before the world, both the slave and the free are equal. So there is equality before the law between the slaves and the free. The eternal equality of the servant and the free man in Christ is shown. He said in verse 22, For he who is called is the Lord, while a slave is the Lord's free man. So he said, if you are a slave, but in Christ you are free, because Christ has set you free from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of sin. So you are in Christ free. And if you are free, you are the slave of Christ. So see, he and St. Paul have how he made both are equal. He said, if you are slave, you are free in Christ. And if you are free, then you are the slave of Christ by your own will. You choose actually to submit yourself to Christ. For he who is called in the Lord, while a slave, is the Lord's free man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at the price. Do not become slaves of men. He said, Christ has purchased both the slave and free alike. And he redeemed both from the bondage of sin by his blood. And both the free and the blind actually are bound to serve the Lord. So both of you are equal before Christ. Then he said, do not become slaves of men. What he means here? Because St. Paul in verse 21, he said, if you are a slave, do not be concerned about it. Here is slaves of men in faith. In your belief system, don't be followers of men in, in, in your faith, in your religion, but be followers of God, be disciples of Christ, God in the flesh. Don't follow any human being in religion in your faith. Verse uh, 24, brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. 
So again, St. Paul is emphasizing the fact that each one to remain in the domestic or social condition in which the call of God found him. Why? Because we are peacemakers. Don't rebel against your status. Accept your status and enjoy your freedom in Christ. That's what St. Paul said. He emphasizing the fact that the children of God should be peacemakers. The last part of the chapter from verse 25 to 40, St. Paul is speaking to the unmarried and the widows. To the unmarried and the widows. Verse 25. Now concerning virgins. Virgins, the unmarried, the singles. I have no commandment from the Lord. So it means there is no direct revelation from God. The Lord Jesus Christ, while he was here on earth, did not say anything uh, clearly about the virgins, whether they should remain virgins or whether they should marry. But, or yet, I give judgment as one whom the Lord, in his mercy, has made trustworthy. Now St. Paul is saying, I am using my Christian judgment as the apostle of God. So what I am saying, actually, I will say by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So what I am saying right now is about, we need to abide by it. Yes, there is no direct revelation from the Lord, but I'm speaking it by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, because God in His mercy, in His mercy, made me trustworthy to be His apostle and to speak with the authority of the Spirit and to use my Christian judgment to give advice to the unmarried and to the widows. Verse 26. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Again, St. Paul is repeating the same principle. It is good for a man to remain in the state he already is. What he means by the present distress? He means that persecution that the Christian all the time are facing. From the time of Christ until now, the Christians are persecuted. Either persecuted by murder, like the terrorists, or persecuted actually by philosophy. Those are casting doubt of their faith and they make them doubt the existence of God, the divinity of Christ. This is also another form of persecution. So persecution is not only killing the person. Persecution is also killing the faith of the person and casting doubt on the faith of the person. That's why, because of this present distress, it is good for human to remain as he is. Verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Are you married? Do not seek to be loosed. Don't depart with your wife. Don't divorce her. Are you bound 
Are you lost from your wife? Don't seek your wife. If you are not married, if you are not married, it is better not to marry. So if you are married, you need to remain true and faithful to the bond of marriage. If you are unmarried, it is better because of the present distress to remain unmarried. Uh, but here, just I want to say advice to the parents. Many parents, when their children reach a certain age, while they are unmarried, unfortunately, they put extreme pressure on them. And sometimes they make them, make them feel guilty uh, because they are unmarried. So, supposing here, you know, maybe it's better because of the present distress not to be married. What I'm trying to say, it is better in general to be unmarried than to marry the wrong person. So, many youth, because of the pressure, whether from the parents, or from the extended family, or from the society, or unfortunately sometimes from the church. Because of the pressure, they rush into marriage. And they make wrong decisions. But it is better to remain unmarried than to marry the wrong person. And Sarpon is saying, if you are unmarried, actually it is a privilege, as he will explain, Use this time to praise the Lord, to devote yourself to, to His service, to consecrate your time to, to serve the Lord. And when the right person comes, then you can marry. Nothing wrong with this. But don't feel guilty because you are a man. Don't you feel ashamed because you are a man. Don't feel that you are less than others. Actually, there is privilege, there is blessing in being unmarried as some boy who is explain. You can use actually your time and your um, energy to serve the Lord and to praise Him. Verse 28. But even if you do, you do marry, you have not sinned. So St. Paul is repeating again. When I encourage you to remain silent, it is not because marriage is sinful, it is not because marriage is wrong, but because of the present distance. Actually, you can please the Lord better if you are unmarried. But if you want to marry, please do. Nothing wrong. You have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I won't uh, spare you. So it's saying, if you want to marry, nothing wrong in this. Why I am telling you it's better not to marry? Because I want to spare you the trouble in the marriage. What trouble is telling you? He said, those who are married, they have trouble in the flesh. Definitely. Anxiety, stress, caring about children, caring about their future, 
caring about their financial status. You know, all these obligations can add stress and trouble to the person who is married. But those who are unmarried can devote all their time and all their energy to serve the Lord. That's why St. Paul said, I want to spare you this. I want to spare you this anxiety and this stress that most of the married couples are facing every day. That's what he But this I say, brethren, the time is short. So that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they have none. St. Paul said, but there is a fact, and this fact is true for the married and unmarried. What is this fact? The time is short. What he means by time is short? If I'm going to live 100 years, and if now I am 40 years, then I have 60 years. Next year I'll have 59, the year after I'll have 58, and so on. So actually, the man should every day, I am closer to the end. So the time is short. Life is short in general. That's why the time of our preparation for eternity is also short. That's why even those who are married should prepare themselves for eternity. Don't let your marital life distract you from your goal, eternal life. That's why everyone should look on all earthly ties as soon to be broken. Because when I depart from this world, even the earthly ties, whether I am married or have children, all these earthly ties will be broken. That's why I need to prepare myself for eternity. That's why uh, even those who have wives, they should act as though they had none. Act in what way? In preparing themselves about eternal life. In not letting their marriage life distract them and lose their focus on the eternal life. So all earthly arrangement must be regarded as temporary. All earthly arrangement should be considered as temporary. Verse uh, 30. Those who weep as those they did not weep. So if you lost something, if you lost some money, if you lost a job, don't let this loss, this weeping, distract you from your eternal life. Yes, try to make up for the loss, but don't let this take you away from the eternal life. We learned about some people who they lost their money in, in the stock market, they committed suicide. Actually, they let their weeping to distract them from the eternal life. That's why St. Paul said, those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And also, if you have earthly achievement here, don't let this earthly achievement and your joy over this earthly achievement distract you from eternal life. And don't enjoy the earthly achievement 
in a way that is ungodly. That's not true, and this is not right. That's why even those who are rejoicing, as if they did not rejoice. Those who were, those they did not possess. When you are, don't let your position, whether it's house or a business or a land or whatever, distract you again from eternal life. Because actually you don't own what you are. Sooner or later, you will depart and leave these things to your uh, children. So actually, you are not owner, you are just a steward. So don't let what you own right now distract you from eternal life. Verse uh, 31, and those who use the word as not misusing it. While we are living in the world, we, we use the world. But St. Paul here is warning from misusing or abusing the world. What is abusing the world? When actually you seek pleasure in the world away from God. You seek the pleasures of the world. That's why St. Paul said the love of the world is enemy to God. So if you fall in love with the world and the love of the world distracted you from God, you are misusing the world. God gave us all these pleasures to use it for the glory of God. But if I enjoy the pleasure in itself, and the pleasure became the goal in itself from God, then you are misusing the world. You lost your focus on the eternal life. Those who use the world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. Everything actually we have here is uh, passing away. So you need to use everything in the world in such a manner and degree to lead you to the knowledge of the love of God. That's how to use the world. Whatever you do, whether eating or drinking, do it for, for the glory of God. Because smiling, weeping, rejoicing, buying, all these things actually are now passing away. The, the, the world and all its form is passing away. Verse 32, but I want you to be without care. Without care means without distracting cares, without anxiety. I want all the things to distract you from your goal, salvation and eternal life. I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord. How he may please the Lord. Now he's speaking about the privilege of being unmarried. The unmarried man, if he understands and use the advantage of being unmarried, actually he will be caring only for the Lord, how to please the Lord and how to serve the Lord. He is already without distraction. So what a blessing, what a privilege you have. You shouldn't feel less, you shouldn't feel uh, not privileged. Actually, you have a privilege because you are serving the Lord. He who is unmarried cares only for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Verse 33, but he who is married cares about the things of the Lord, how he may please his wife. 
Those who are married have their mind distracted here and there, children, finance, health instruments, future. Uh, and therefore, actually, they are distracted. And many, many times, all these cares can distract them from the, uh, the eternal life and their salvation. That's why St. Clement, in his book called Suma, uh, book three, he said, St. Paul doesn't mean here at all that those who are married have excuse not to please the Lord. No, actually he's warning you who are married from being distracted from pleasing the Lord. That's why he said, even if you are married, walk as if you are not. Don't let the marriage and all this distraction distract you from Christ. Those who are married, also they should care for the things uh, of the Lord too. Verse 34. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. A wife and a man. Virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the Lord, how she may please her husband. Again, he's showing us the privilege, the advantage of the unmarried. The unmarried woman cares only for the things of the Lord. All the time, her care, her thoughts, are focused in God. How she may be holy both in body and spirit. So this advantage is true in all ages and in all nations. But they are demanded also uh, are distracted because of her commitment to the marriage. Verse 35. And this I say for your own profit. St. Paul said, When I am encouraging you to remain unmarried or to devote your life to Christ, I'm not intervening or interfering in your personal freedom to marry, but actually I'm giving advice for your own profit. For your own profit. Not that. I mean, I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and then you may serve the Lord without distraction. So he said, I'm not putting a leash on your neck, so you feel as if you are helpless. No, I'm giving you advice for your own profit, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. But if you cannot and you want to marry, marry. Nothing wrong. Uh, so here I am saying this not to restrict your freedom, not to make you feel as helpless, but actually I'm giving you uh, advice for your own profit, uh, for what's proper. If you know that the time is short, and if you don't know that we are facing many distress and persecution in our time, then that's what's proper. That's what maybe you need to consider doing it. But if you cannot, you can uh, marry. But it's better to serve the Lord without distinction. The last part, 
simply speaking about either the parents who have their daughters or their uh, sons unmarried versions should we encourage them to marry or not? And also speaking about the couples who live, who are married, but live together as brother and sister. And this was common in every Christianity. Many couples were married, but they choose to live as brother and sister together, as Abdelkhusik Kadra, uh, as Abdelkhusikana and his wife. So all these are examples of couples who live together as a brother and wife. St. Paul said in verse 36, but if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin. So if you are married and you decided to be virgins, you and your wife, not to touch each other, but if you believe that now you start to behave improperly toward your version, so you are, cannot uh, keep your absolute self-control. If she is past the flower of the age, and thus it must be, so now uh, the version is grown up and you feel that you are not uh, behaving properly toward her, uh, let them do what is what he wishes. He does not sin, let them marry. So he said, if you cannot keep uh, your agreement to remain virgins, no, it's better to marry instead of being burdened by the passion. But some scholars said these verse are to the parents not to the husbands who made the agreement to remain virgins. So uh, said, the parents have power and authority over their children, especially in the East. Uh, and the father make decisions for his daughter to marry so and so. And in this age, so St. Paul is telling them, if a parent think that he is not treating his daughter, sorry, his daughter well, and leaving her unmarried beyond the flower of her age, if she is grown up man and he decided to, or, or, or made a decision for her to be a virgin, but she cannot keep this, then it is better to let her marry. Don't force your daughter to be a virgin. Don't force your son to be a man. No. This will be wrong regarding your children. So, why? Because if you are doing this, you are actually interfering with their own freedom and their own right to marry. That's why don't force your daughter or don't force your son to be a virgin. So if your daughter or your son grown up and after beyond the flower of youth, which means they are mature, and uh, they want to marry, uh, let him do what he wishes. Let him uh, agree 
to get her marriage, he does not send let them marry. He does not then let her children marry. <coughs> Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity and has power over his own will and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his version thus well. But if you make a decision in your heart to keep your daughter this version and she has a power to exercise absolute self-control and you want to keep this vow, nothing wrong. Actually, you do better. So if no need makes marriage necessary, if there is no burning desire makes the marriage necessary, and the purpose that she remains unmarried continues steadfast, the purpose that she is a virgin is uh, steadfast. He does well to let her remain so. What he means by power over his own way? As a parent, actually there is a struggle because he wants his daughter to marry and have children. But to control this uh, well, the desire of having grandchildren children, and agree and approves that his daughter become a nun or his son becomes a mom. So if you have power of your own will, then actually it is better actually to encourage them for uh, to be virgins. And here another advice to the parents. If your children want to consecrate their life to God, become nuns or become uh, monks, actually you need to support them, you need to encourage them. Don't tell them, no, you cannot do this. Uh, because of your selfish desire to have grandchildren and to see your children are married. Actually, St. Paul saying, if you keep them versions, actually you do better. Verse 58, so then, he who gives to her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. So he said both are well, but if you choose that your son or daughter, to be consecrated to God and the main versions actually you do better. You do better because of the, the time is short and because of the present distance. Verse 2039. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to, to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. The last verses he is addressing the widow. So he said, as long as your husband or your spouse is alive, you cannot depart your spouse. But if your spouse departs, then you are free from the marriage bond because of death of your spouse. And you can marry, you can marry, but with one limitation in the Lord. In the Lord means Christian and mystical marriage. Mean to marry from a Christian person in the church as a sacrament. Uh, verse 40, the last verse. But she is happier if she remains as she is. 
against the Lord is speaking, uh, repeating what he said. If the widow remains as a widow, she is happier because she doesn't have any distraction. According to my own judgment, according to my Christian judgment as the apostle of the Lord. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. So this judgment is not my personal view, but it is what the Holy Spirit inspired me to say. So the Holy Spirit uh, is saying it is better not to be married in order to consecrate all your life to the Lord in His service and to praise Him. So the last part can be interpreted either St. Paul speaking to parents who wants to keep their children either married or virgins, or to the couple who want to live together as virgins. And basically St. Paul said, if you cannot keep your verb of virginity, sorry, if you cannot keep yourself virgin and exercise absolute self-control, then it's better to marry, nothing wrong. But if you can keep your origin and exercise absolute self-control, this is better because of time of short and because of the present. This is glory to God forever.